Thank you so much, Lucas. Uh, you can all be seated. Um, can we thank Lucas for leading us in worship? Can we thank Ruth and the kids and the team serving there and the team, kid, people teaching our kids, so many people. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Well, um, since we last came together as the body of Christ, I turned 50. So there you go. Somebody, um, I, I don't know. It's like, do we celebrate that? Like, what does he want here? Well, somebody... Help me put it in perspective. They said, George, don't, don't worry about being 50. It's only half a century. I don't know if that helped. Um, then I continued to read down the little post they shared. It's five decades. All right, that's a lot of decades. That's 600 months. That's 2,609 weeks. Uh, that is 18,262 days, um, but... The good news is it's only seven in dog years. So I guess I'm, I'm seven in dog years. I hope that, I don't know if that's supposed to make me feel better or what, but here's the deal. Here's what, here's what occurs to me now. Um, really, the fact is th this is a depreciating investment now. This, 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 it's, this is as good as it's gonna get. In fact, if the uh, stats are true, I could actually be past the uh, point of no return. Um, somebody said, you know, you're on the back nine of life. And then I was reminded, actually, George, according to the latest stats of the lifespan of a male American, I'm teeing up the 12th, uh, the 12th hole there. So I'm, I'm well into the last nine there. I said, wow, thank you very much. They reminded me uh, that no matter what I try to do now, my muscle mass will continue to decrease as my test Testosterone levels decrease. That was hard news to hear. Uh, they inform me that my bone mass density will begin to lessen, so I'll literally become more brittle. Um, I bought a new skateboard this weekend. That might have not been the best idea ever, um, as I've now learned that I'm literally returning to dust. They even said uh, that, uh, George, as hard as you try, your cognitive abilities from this point forward, actually from the time you're in your 20s, your cognitive capabilities have begun to decrease. They said at any point you could wake up and you could forget to um, remember, uh, uh, what, uh, what's, her, um, what's her name? Robin, Robin, like, so at some point, no. So, yeah, so this is a depreciating investment. So why bother? I mean, really, why bother? Why should I even care? Why should I continue to exercise? Why should I try to eat well? I should just eat, you know, cupcakes and ice cream for the rest of my life now. Why do I even try to learn any new things if stuff is just leaving my head? I mean, if I'm on the back nine of life, it is really as bad as it's supposed to be. Why even why even bother, right? Well, the fact is I'm going to bother. I'm going to keep taking care of myself. In fact, as I age, maybe I need to actually think a little bit more intentionally about how I take care of myself. Maybe I need to focus a bit more on exercise and routines and eating that'll keep me vigorous, I hope, to a long age, because I don't think I'm going to have a very spiritual ministry if I don't have a physical body to continue that ministry. Here's why I'm sharing and saying all this silly, fun, goofy stuff. It seems to me that many Christians have allowed to slip into our thinking about God's creation. Isn't this a depreciating investment? 
Isn't the world, as some people might say, literally going to hell in a handbasket? It seems that that is the approach that many and many people of faith even have about the creation itself. But that's not the story of the Bible as we've been into now for three weeks. The story of the Bible is the story of a creation regained the story of a creation in the process of redemption, the story of a creation that, yes, has fallen into sin and death and decay, but a creation that Christ has come to, that Christ has promised to return to, and a creation that Christ has promised to redeem in the glory of the new heavens and the new earth. My people, these bodies are not depreciating investments and our creation is not a depreciating investment. Our creation has never been abandoned or forsaken by our God, just as we will never be forsaken by our God. No, my friends, we are in the midst of a story of redemption. Can I get a hallelujah and an amen on that? We need to reclaim our place in our world as being the champions, not just of the gospel, that Christ has come to save sinners and lost souls and bring us back into relationship with God, but Christ has come to reclaim our relationship with one another and with the creation itself in preparation for the glories that are yet to come. Am I excited about this? I hope I'm conveying excitement about this message and this ministry because I know I'm not going to say I think anymore. I know that this is the message the world needs to hear. I know that as we talked about in week one, because if young people's number one concerns are concerns about the environment and creation care, and if the church is called to creation care and stewardship, well, then our young people need to know that the church is perhaps the most relevant institution for them to embrace and to be a part of. Yes, I want to preach creation care. Yes, I want to preach to the up-and-coming generation. And yes, I want to preach to you this morning. Let's jump back into it. I'm going to jump into our scripture reading this morning. Now we move from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 2. Here, the creation or what is called the cultural mandate. You're going to get a couple uh, 25-cent words, actually with inflation. We're going to get a couple dollar words here this morning. The first of which is going to be the mandate that we've been given from the creation to be stewards and to cultivate that which God has entrusted to our care. So here it is, Genesis chapter 2, and it's working perfectly. We had it working perfectly. Chris, I'm hitting that button. There we go. This is the account of the heavens and the earth. Uh This is the account of heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Ah, it's going to work. I'm sorry. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. There was no one there yet. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. 
the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from the e- from Eden. From there, it was separated into four headwaters. I'm going to skip ahead so because the, the slides are driving me crazy here. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going to read the scriptures to you from my notes here. Um, by the way, if anybody ever wants to help Chris and Jeff, who are most always alone back there, if this is, you know, you're welcome to help anytime. So I'm only going to say that. The Lord God, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. Say work it. And to take care of it. Say care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. A Gallup poll that I read this past week informed me that 25 million people were surveyed in nearly 200 countries. And the good news is that 13% of those people surveyed said that they found their work very fulfilling. But the sad news on the other side of that is that 87% said their work was somewhat less than fulfilling. In fact, about a whole half of those people said that work wasn't just fulfilling, they actively hated what they were doing. So the hard, sad, bad news here this morning is that roughly nine out of 10 people are doing something they'd rather not be doing with people they'd rather not be doing it with in places they'd rather not be. They are not finding the call to work life-giving and fulfilling. And my friends, here's the good news. That's not the way it's supposed to be. That is not the way it's supposed to be. Now, I'm not going to ask you whether you're in the 13% or the 87% because we might be discouraged a bit by that. But what I want to do is maybe together we can, perhaps with a change of mindset, perhaps with a change of heart set, and perhaps with changes that might happen in all of our lives, maybe we could start moving from that 87% to that 13%, and we could grow into a people who believe in the call to work and the work that God calls us to do. I would want, of course, for all of you to find your work life incredibly rewarding, incredibly meaningful, and making an incredible impact in our world. Of course we want that, because we have been given a creation or a cultural Mandate. We're going to unpack this a little bit in just a moment, but work was not part of the fall. Work was part of the creation. Work was a part of God's intended order and design for men and women in the creation to be a part of the work that God is calling us to engage in. So we're going to try and reclaim that a little bit here this morning in the midst of our call to creation, care, and cultivation. In week one, we laid the foundation that God is, of course, our 
creator. But not just that, God is the sustainer. We know that there's an old mindset of the deist that kind of talked about the clockwork or God. You know, maybe there's a God, but God probably just set things in motion and stepped out. But our story of faith, our God reveals, no, he's the sustainer. And we look to the Psalms, which are always talking about God's sustaining care, like Psalm 8 that we just read. And in case, you know, again, I, I just keep wanting to reinforce each and every one of these uh, positions. Uh, if you've read the Sermon on the Mount, you know that Jesus reinforces this understanding when he talks about living a life free from worry and anxiety and putting our faith and trust in God. What does he say there? He turns to the creation. He says to us, look, look at the grass of the field and the birds of the air. Look how your father in heaven clothes them and cares for them and knows it. And if your father in heaven knows every blade of grass and sustains it, if he sustains every bird you see flying in the air, if he knows every hair on your head, oh, the sustaining, nurturing grace of our God. So again, we just wanna keep reinforcing that God is not ever for a moment forsaken or abandoned. We, his image bearers, or the creation. Week two, then, we moved into our role more as stewards of God's creation. Now, what we got into that were a couple of those big words, but I want for us to understand because I think that this can truly begin to transform our understanding and mindset as people of faith. We have the story of the God who was transcendent, who is omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful, all those transcendent things, but he became imminent, a part of sustaining the creation. But then what we see for us, we were the ones who were made imminent. We are creatures. <laughs> we are made a part of the creation, made from the dust of the ground. God breathed life into us. But when he did, he gave us a part of that transcendence as well. That image of God, that fingerprint of God, that eternal mark of God on us, the image bears. And so just as our God transcended, became imminent in creation, we made in and a part of the creation become transcendent. And that's the key. That's the intersection. That's where the role of becoming stewards of creation lands. We have to hold that in proper balance um, because that when we lose that balance, and, and, and this is where I ended, and then we'll move on to the new stuff, because if we just tend towards um, a, a sort of a biocentric view of life, we'll say that. Just it's all about the biology, it's all about the creation. Well, then that can lead to a lot of hopelessness. You know, I'm just a small speck in the scope of the universe, um, just a little blip in the timeline of all of existence. We can find that very hopeless, very uh, meaningless. Uh, we, we can feel very, uh, you know, just, just belittled in that mindset. In that framework. Uh, the other mistake, though, that we, people sometimes make is they become so, uh, we'll say, anthropological, so man centered, that we become arrogant. We overstep our bounds. It's all about us. We're the survival of the fittest. Uh, if I can take it, I will. If I can make it, I'm going to. You know, we just sort of like just rule and run amok with the power that God has given to us. But God is always inviting us to hold the balance. God is still in control. We are the stewards, and we will give account someday. And remember, Jesus holds some of his sternest words for people who do a bad job with stewardship. He wants us to very much take seriously this call to steward 
the creation. And so with that, we move here a little bit deeper into this role of stewardship and this call. So last week, what we saw in the creation story is that God gave us rule and dominion. And we tried to just kind of, uh, you know, push aside uh, any uh, arrogant, uh, selfish, egotistical interpretations of those words. How do we want rule and dominion to be exercised? We want rule and dominion that brings blessing, right? We want rule and dominion that brings blessing, that brings abundance, that brings joy to those being ruled over. And to draw that point a little bit out, we're going to dive a little bit now into Genesis chapter 2 here because we're moving from rule and dominion that we talked about last week to what were the words that I had us emphasize in our morning reading here. And anybody remember what we move from rule and dominion to work and care, right? We're moving from rule and dominion, and as the creation story itself focuses in now more on the created image bears men and women, now this role is further defined as work and care. So again, continuing the theme of looking to words and what they really mean and what they're really telling us, that word work, abad, God is calling us to be workers in creation. Work is not a part of the fall, not a part of sin, not a part of brokenness. Work from the foundation is to be a part of God's created order. So where do we see work playing out elsewhere in the scriptures? The first man, Adam, the first woman, Eve, they're called to work the garden. And then that same word is picked up later in the life of the people of faith. And of all that we could say about that, this might be the most interesting part. That word abad is the same word used to describe the work of the priests. So when God was bringing his people out of Egypt, out of captivity, bringing them to the promised land, God wanted to be a part. The whole point was God to be with his people, a part of the people, redeeming the people. So God instructed the people to make a tabernacle to make this tent of meeting. And the important part of that, that, was, that wasn't just where people met God, that was God being with the people, going with the people wherever they went. God's presence was always there. But in order for that presence to be made manifest and active and alive in the works of the people, the priests were called to intercess. The priests were called to work on behalf of God and the people. But you know how that word is translated most often in that Exodus story? The priests worshiped before God. The priests abad. The priests were so work and worship were already being brought together for the people of God. The, the works that we were supposed to be doing on behalf of God were acts of worship before God. Okay, hold on to that thought because it doesn't actually end there. That Adam was called to work and to take care of. And that word care, samar, it immediately appears in Genesis chapter 3 after the man and the woman fall into sin so that they would not take from the tree of eternal life so that they would not live forever in a broken and sinful state as an act of mercy of compassion God said sent an angel and he sent that angel to keep or to guard that same word the people from living eternally 
in that broken and fallen state. Then we see that word appear again right after in the story of Cain and Abel. And Cain kills his brother Abel. You probably know that story. That's a story that goes around and it makes the circles. And there's a famous line in that story. What does Cain say when God feigns not knowing what has transpired? Because God really knows what all has happened. There's a famous line. He says to God, am I my brother's? Some are. Am I my brother's guard? Am I my brother's keeper? Now, what's the answer that God wanted him to say? Are you still with me? What's the, God, what's the answer that God wanted him to say in that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Tim. <laughs> I always know Tim's listening. Everybody listen. <laughs> yes, yes. I want you to be your brother's keeper, your sister's keeper, your neighbor's keeper. Yes, the whole point is I want you to do that. Just as I want you to be creation's keeper. Just as what were the priests called to do? They were called to abide, to work, and to worship, and to keep. They were called the keepers of the sacred elements of worship. They were called to keep all that God had blessed and bestowed upon them. They were called to keep and to guard and protect and to work the worship of God. God was always in the business of bringing together our work and worship into, a sense, a seamless unity now, here's what I'm trying to say here, friends. Here's what I'm trying to do so desperately. I am not trying to talk myself out of a job. <laughs> I'm not trying to lower the value of worship. Never. God never lowers the value of the tabernacle. He never lowers the value of a day of Sabbath. He never lowers the value of prayer and praises and the word of God. God is not in the business of ever devaluing, lowering, belittling the worship, his worship, his glory, his honor, his name. God never lowers that. But what we seem to see, what appears we may have been lost, well, God was also in this business of rising up the call to the work of all of God's people. God, in essence, then, if the work and the keep and the care and the guard that was called forth in the garden is the work and the keep and the care that was called forth in the tabernacle, it seems that God is actually putting on equal balance both working a garden and gathering in worship, both working in a garden and coming together to be the body of Christ, to be the church, to come to church and to worship and to go to work and to teach children to come to church and to worship and to go to the hospital and exercise healing. You come to church and worship and to go into the arts and to create works of beauty that glorify God, to come to God and worship and to write songs that would praise him, to come to God to worship and to exercise uh, great business sensibilities and care throughout all. So are we getting to see the unified vision that God was laying out from the very foundations of creation, that mission and that vision that he has never abandoned, that in fact God has been in the business of redeeming and reconciling since the fall. I got really excited about this all the way back in college. And I'm not saying this is an indictment on you know, you know, my, my church growing up or faith growing up, 
But whenever you grow up in the church, any other church babies here? You know, I was a church baby. When you grow up in the church, you know, we come together and we worship and we celebrate and we, you know, missionaries come and we talk about them. We're like, that's awesome. You're sharing the gospel. And, you know, Joy Engelsman goes off to Spain and then she's going to Africa to teach. And we're like, you're a missionary. That's, that's awesome. And, you know, pastors have birthdays and they buy you a cake and they put it out in the lobby. And you're like, man, being a pastor. Over the course of time, that can create a dualism, a dichotomy, a bit of a split between sacred and secular. Again, I'm not trying to say this is an indictment. I just know that that kind of thing, that kind of thing happens. You know, and I certainly, I think, fell victim to that prey of like, well, I guess if I really want to serve God, I should probably be a pastor or a missionary. You know, and, and, and everything else, like whatever, you know, you just support the work of the church. I just want to blow that out of the atmosphere right now for all of us. And I'm not saying that to belittle the work and the worship of God. I mean, obviously, I'm not trying to shoot myself in the foot. I love to be a pastor. I love being called to preach. I love leading the church. But again, can we elevate the call to work and to care for all of God's creation and all the roles that need to be filled by people of faith so that the gospel can truly go out to every square inch of all of creation. I got somebody again, so, so I got kind of like my thinking kind of got tweaked, got turned around in college whenever somebody said, read this, um, creation regained. Um, I'm, just, I'm just putting up there as a prop to say, I kind of know that moment in my life when I opened this book and I began to read through it and I could just sense that shift was starting to happen in my own thinking, in my own heart my own understanding of God's work in the world, that God was about destroying the dualisms that would separate his worship and his work, the sacred and the secular, and the actual call of redemption was to bring the sacred back into all that was broken and fallen and bring it back to redemption and for the glory of God. I want that for all of you. I want that for all of God's people to understand that his call on your life is a sacred calling when again he's calling you to teach when he's calling you to heal when he's calling you to create when he's calling to to build when he's calling you to fix and to repair and now I know now I know that for so many your work can be a drag I mean, I would just be ignorant. I'd have my head stuck in the sand if I didn't recognize as your pastor, as I walk with you through so much of life, so often work is awful. (laughs) I get it. But that doesn't negate the call, the dream, the vision, (laughs) the glorious idea and the hope that could we bring the sacred? Could we bring God? Could we bring his blessing? Could we bring his calling into all these areas of life? Yes, we know that some things in this world are wicked and evil and, you know, we would just say irredeemable and shouldn't be, but everything else should be and should be a part of our work and our worship and our glory and our offering to God. One of the things I told you that I was doing this whole past summer um, was uh, on my sabbatical. I had a sabbatical this summer, 
And uh, you know, I was reading through the scriptures, and I was uh, going through uh, you know some Bible memorization. And I mentioned that I was always going through the uh, Heidelberg Catechism and the Westminster Confession. I would just commend these wonderful uh, old readings to you. Read old things, people. You know, like there's still so much value there. But I still, I just love and I hold on to that wonderful vision of the Westminster Catechism. What is your chief end? What is your chief end? What is your chief purpose? Why are you here? And the answer, to glorify God and, you remember, enjoy him forever. I remember when I first read that, I was like, I get the glorify God part. But I was intrigued and compelled by the enjoy him part. Wait a second, God, so you want me to glorify you? I get it. I should say prayers. I should read the Bible. I should go to worship. I should give. I get all that stuff, but wait, you want me to enjoy you forever? And kind of the answer is, well, yeah. (laughs) I want my glory to be your joy. I want my worship to be your joy. I want your serving me and honoring me and walking with me to be your joy. Well, God, I'm probably going to have to work 40 hours or more. Is that supposed to be a joy as well? Amen. Yes. I would love for you to enjoy me in the work that you're called to do. Now, again, are we all there yet? I would be a fool if I said we're all there yet. But can we move in that direction maybe? Because maybe this is just a mind shift for us. Maybe this is a mind shift because maybe some of us have been that mindset of like, ah, you know, uh, you know, the pastor's work really matters. The missionary's work really matters, you know, but, you know, I, you know, I'm just, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just uh, whatever, insert whatever you do. And I'm just flying planes. Well, maybe your flying planes can be glorifying and honoring to God. You know, oh, I'm just, you know, working uh, in palliative care. Well, maybe you can bring God's grace and blessing and hope to people in the last stages of life. Well, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm, just, I'm just doing lawn work. Well, maybe you're cultivating God's creation and working with neighbors and with people and blessing their lives with not just the work that you do, but the way that you do. We could explore, and I pray that we will explore, how all of these things, all of these things can be a part of creation regained, becoming the ministers of reconciliation in all areas of creation that we are called to do. Now, that is the teaser for next week. I I, I actually must admit, I I, I inserted this extra week in here because I just really wanted to dig down into this creation mandate, this cultural mandate that all we are to do is to be honoring and glorifying to God and a part of his plan for redemption. Next week, we're going to get into Romans chapter 8 and then the end of the story in Revelation 21 and 22, where we're going to learn that all of creation, yes, it has been groaning, groaning as if in the pains of childbirth, waiting for the sons and the daughters of God to be revealed. And the call for us is going to be to reveal ourselves and to again be a part of birthing the spirit, birthing the gospel, birthing the mission of the church, bringing into fruition the life that God wants for all of his children and for all of creation. Now, let me uh, draw and kind of wrap it up and and, and draw it home here. I'm going to invite Lucas to come forward. He's going to play us some traveling music. 
Um, but we're going to do a lot of traveling because we have a lot of pieces that we're going to still do in today's worship service. But let, let, me, let me end this. Let, let me end this. Um, some people, so he, here's me as the preacher trying for a moment to um, anticipate an objection. <laughs> which I don't know, maybe I do or I don't do properly. But I thought, so what might be the objection, again, to this story of bringing all of creation back to the glory of God, this call of stewardship, this call of not abandoning God's creation, but working and becoming true ambassadors of creation care, trying to do everything we do in a way that matters, trying to live into this value that we have as the church. One of our values that we state is, of course, everything matters. Yes, God's worship matters. Yes, prayers matter. Yes, songs matter. But your work matters. Your home matters. Raising your kids matter. Starting a bit, you know, so we want to say, you know, so we have this value of everything matters. Anyways, so I was like, what might might somebody object to this? And I thought, well, there is that thing called called the Great Commission that Jesus gave. (laughs) And we are always talking about the Great Commission. But I want us to think now about the Great Commission in light of this cultural or creational mandate. What does Jesus say? He says, of course, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all ethnos, all peoples, all people groups. Go and make disciples of entire nations and groups of people coming together. Teach them everything that I've commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you. But go right back to that very beginning. We talk about go and make disciples, but really in the original language, it sounds a little stilted, a little awkward. So we just say, go and make disciples, but it would best be translated, better be understood in your going, make disciples. Well, again, where are we supposed to go? To the ends of the earth. And what are we supposed to do? We're not just supposed to share a flat lifeless gospel, get your soul saved and then just hunker down until Jesus comes again. No. Go and in your going make disciples of entire people groups. Bring the gospel, bring my good news to every area of life. So go and make disciples in your preaching. Go and make disciples in your teaching. Go and make disciples in your marketplace. Go and make disciples in your hospital. Go and make disciples in your school. Go and make disciples in your arts group. Go and make disciples in the music industry. Go and make disciples everywhere you go. Because this is how we live into this great commission. By bringing this good news into every area of life. Hallelujah. Amen. It's beginning to give us a little sense of, oh my goodness. So you're saying God could use me? my whatever it is I do yes 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 God has you I think right where you're supposed to be for this time or this place maybe not forever maybe not for always but part of God's commission over us is to have you right where you are bringing that good news let me say a prayer let me ask God's blessing all of this and then we ain't done yet we have some wonderful other elements of worship that we need to celebrate together let me pray Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for broadening my vision and my understanding of your plan of redemption. That yes, it is about sharing the good news and calling people to confess you with their mouth and to believe in you with their heart. 
that you, Jesus, died and rose again and in you is life and salvation. Yes, hallelujah and amen, but it goes deeper, it goes broader, it goes wider, it's so much more. And you are calling us now to this ministry, this mission of reconciliation. And Lord, Lord, it's this simple maybe. We want your light to shine into every area of creation. We want your light to shine through our lives to every area of our culture because there is not one square inch where you do not want your gospel, your light, your love to shine forth. So we are grateful for this and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.